Welcome to Farcast. Now here's your host, Michael Farr. Welcome to the Farcast. I am Michael Farr. Thank you so much for joining us again this week. And we have another terrific Farcast lined up for you this evening. It has been a very eventful few days on Wall Street since we were last with you one week ago. Uh, today, here we are, Tuesday, the 18th day of December. couple of weeks left to the end of the year, finish out 2018 and the fourth quarter. Companies are kind of reporting here that are on a little bit of an odd fiscal. We'll get the uh, those that are on a calendar uh, year uh, in uh, in January, mid-January, we'll start to get fourth quarter, real fourth quarter results. Uh, after the bell tonight, we saw FedEx report, and it was an interesting report out of FedEx in that they lowered guidance as uh, going forward, blaming uh, the economy in Europe and slower trade volumes in Europe and Asia. Stock is, you know, already down like 30 percent lower off its highs. Um, but it's kind of a it's a good barometer of the global economy. So I, that's one of those things that I watched. Remember that Jim Urio and I were talking last week about the things that we watched. Uh, and I've thought about that every day as I've looked at oil and bonds and currency and futures and checked in to see what's confirming and what isn't confirming. So remember that on the forecast, we think that money is hard to make. We think that old fashioned dogged research discipline uh, are the keys to successful investing and that emotion is the foe of the long-term investor. So if you're feeling ebullient or if you're feeling scared, and I think a lot of more of you are starting to feel scared, stop, step back, take a deep breath, and think about your long-term investment plan, your risk tolerance. Uh, and, you know, it's fine, as Jim Urio has told us in past weeks, uh, always fine to take a check and make sure that you're not overweighted and that your risk profile hasn't changed while you were sleeping just because account values have changed. But uh, otherwise, staying the course has made most investors I know a lot more money. But we're going to go and find out from Jim Urio right now from the floor of the Chicago Exchange. Jim Urio is managing director of TJM Institutional Services, a veteran futures and options trader. He's been there. You can't believe it. You see Jim Urio on TV. He looks like he's about, oh, 29. He's been there for 30 years. Can you believe it? 1987 graduate of the University of Illinois with a B.A. in economics on CNBC all the time. Hey, welcome back, Jim. You're great to be with us. Well, thank you for having me, Michael. Uh, you, it, it is great, and, and our listeners learn so much from you. Uh, and so on, on their behalf, thank you. They send me notes thanking you, so that's pretty cool. So, Jim. I appreciate it. Yeah, well, you got a, you got a fan club, the Urio fan club. I'm a member. <laughs> I'm getting hats. Uh, so t- tell us what you are making of the last week. We thought last week that things were going to stabilize a bit and that we might even find a, uh, a, a little bit of a melt-up, maybe a little bit of a Santa Claus rally. We thought it was all going to center around maybe what the Fed was going to do, and then we've had a, a much tougher week than I think either of us expected. What are you seeing now? What do you think's going on? Okay, well, when 2600 gave in the s and there definitely was a change of sentiment. I, okay, I think the... The biggest part of this whole equation is uncertainty regarding the Fed 
tomorrow, um, on Wednesday, is that you know, now the, the CME's FedWatch tool has a 68% chance that they tighten tomorrow. That's amazing the day before the actual meeting because, remember, the Fed likes to be very transparent and, uh, and let us know ahead of time. So coming into this at 68% to me is wildly uncertain, and the market doesn't like uncertainty. So I hear some people saying, oh, if the Fed tightens when they shouldn't, that's going to hurt the market. If the Fed doesn't tighten, it means they have some particular insight onto the, and the economy and the economy is slowing. That part is nonsense, in my opinion, but I do think people could be nervous about that theory, but I think that theory is hogwash. I think I want to see when we get to the end of this week and we have the Fed in the rearview mirror, regardless of what they do, if at that point we can start to feel a little more confident. Now, keep in mind, the S&P today, um, uh, on February 5th, it, it traded 25.29. Today, the low was 25.28, so it took it out by one tick and then bounced back slightly, and right now we're hovering just above it. If we can reject that, I think it's pretty solid. Okay. Now let's 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 uh, let's forget that you and I have you know uh, hundreds and thousands, if not millions, of people listening to us right now. And why don't we? Uh, what do you think the Fed's going to do tomorrow? I'll tell you what I think. I think. They're you, hike. you think they're going to hike? Okay, I think they're going to hike, and I think if they and I was tweeting about this with a bunch of my the people I talked to on Twitter today. If they were in a vacuum and they had no market expectations to deal with, I don't think they would tighten. I think they'd be concerned about asset prices. They'd be concerned about a couple different things slowing. But they're not in a vacuum, and the market believes they're going to tighten. I think they would risk pulling a, you know, surprising the market and perhaps could unsettle things if they didn't. So I think they will, but I think they're going to wrap it in a lot of dovishness. Tell me about the language and tell me about Jay Powell's uh, interview afterwards. Well, that's the whole key. And what, he, what he's got to do, it's, this is going to be the most apologetic tightening in history. He's going to tighten, and then he's going to talk about how everything from here on out is data-dependent. And he's going to throw in words that might have implications that there, there could easily be no hikes in 2019. And I think the market will be quick to react to that. And I think that's what the market wants, ideally, too. I, I'm curious if he'll talk about balance sheet stuff, and I don't want to get too wonky, but you know, that's part of the issue as well. And Donald Trump treated it, uh, tweeted about it today. You know, if they keep letting that roll off without reinvesting anything, that's affecting things too. Although I don't see it affecting things a ton considering the long end of the, of the curve is still relatively low rates. But I think that he's going to uh, wrap it in the dovish bubble wrap after the tightening tomorrow. Dovish bubble wrap. There you go, Harry. Oh, you like that? Yep. I like dovish <laughs> bubble wrap. Uh, you, you know, we want to protect everything from breaking and shattering, right? Uh, okay, so, Jim, here's what I've been thinking about, because I've got to do uh, – I'm doing the two-hour live show tomorrow with Tyler uh, from Washington uh, on Capitol Hill. So I'm going to be on CNBC, ladies and gentlemen, tomorrow, uh, Wednesday, Fed Day, from 1 until 3. And I know exactly, of course, what Tyler's going to want me to tell him about what the Fed's going to do. And, and, and I agree with Jim. I think that they will hike tomorrow. I am amazed, Jim, that, that, that CME's got it at 68% chance. Uh, that, that's shocking to me. I think they've got to do it. Now, here's what I think, though. Uh, I think that, that they might not sound as dovish as a lot on Wall Street want. I think that Jay Powell is going to be much more deliberate much calmer or appear as totally calm, you know, if not semi-dead, if he can. You know, this is the guy who can't be emotional about anything. So he's going to give us the Jay Powell is semi-dead and, and uh, kind of approach. And, yes, we're going to be data dependent. We still th see things are constructive. 
I think he's not going to. I think he's not going to give away his whole hand. Um, so I think it's going to be very measured and much more measured than Wall Street wants. And while you know, I love to see it you, in the rear the, view, but you know, I, I I just don't think he's going to make Wall Street very happy. Well, the, the way you lay it out, I think is fine if he injects a little bit of confidence, like you know everything's fine. Maybe the market just wants a pat on the back. I think the key, most important thing is you just alluded to. The market wants this in the rearview mirror, and as soon as we can get that, provided he's not going to be wildly hawkish and say, "Yeah, I'm tightening, I'm tightening four times next year," which obviously he's not going to say that. The market would hate that. But the way you lay it out, I think, is fine, and that's within the realm of acceptability for the market to digest this and then look for other things to either freak out about or build a base about, which I hope the latter happens. Well, you know, it's, it, it then begs the question, if you and I kind of agree about this, right, then why are the markets so panicky? I mean, right now. I mean, the, the, the economy, okay, so the economy is not going to grow at 4% next year. It's going to grow at 2%. There's nothing wrong with two percent growth, no. we, we've got a Fed yeah, that not at all. That's and those numbers be... today were were fairly solid in housing and building permits. There was, they were some good numbers. I don't think things are falling apart. I think this is this almost seems like some sort of temper tantrum to try to exert the markets. You know, traders oftentimes like think of the market as this being with a mind and emotions. And I apologize if I veer too much off that. But sometimes it feels to me like the market's trying to exert its will on the Fed. And, you know, maybe tomorrow Jay, Jay Powell sees, you know, certain asset prices declining and thinks, eh, maybe we're in trouble. So maybe that's part of it. I have no idea why. Well, I think in the long run, though, he's going to basically hedge about future tightening. He's I mean, that's kind of what I expect. It's going to be a future tightening hedge. I, I you know, he's going to give you the I think given certain conditions, if uh, the construction continues and inflation and we don't see a certain and the, you know, he'll he'll get a little Greenspan-esque in trying to baffle you uh, when they try to baffle you as opposed to dazzle you. But but basically, I think he's going to hedge on future tightening on further tightening. Uh, and, and I think the 10 year. Okay, this is what I need you to. I have this sense that the ten year is going to be pegged below three percent for a long time. What do you tell me? I have no problem with that, and I think that there's huge global factors that are kind of forcing that issue as well as domestic issues. I do think, however, though, if we can get back into some sort of risk on environment over the next month to two months, I think that people will be a little less freaked out and there'll be a little less buying of the ten year, and I could see it going back above three percent in that environment. And I actually do think that's what's going to happen. On the close today, you do I think that's going to happen. Much. We're going to get back to a more constructive risk on. Sure. I, yes, I do think that's going okay. to happen. I think that all bear. You know, if we if we trade down another couple percent, I'm fine with that. Everybody of you and my age, when we look at this beginning to happen, we have these flashbacks of the tech bubble, and we have these flashbacks of the real estate bubble. That we have to ask ourselves, is, there, is, is the market position such that everybody crowded into whatever it is they crowded into, that enough to that unwind is going to cause us this 40 or 50% move down? And the answer to me is no. Remember, prices basically determined by three things, the story, the sentiment, and the market position. Now, yep. the fundamental story, you know, it has changed a little bit. Things have slowed globally. Things have slowed domestically. The sentiment has you know, clearly changed. I think when we, we started to cascade lower, there's people who definitely think, uh-oh, things could be trouble. But part of that is because of what we've seen in the past. But the market position, anecdotally, I don't see the same sort of mom-and-pop leverage that we saw in tech stocks 
back in you know the turn of the century, or that clearly we saw in real estate in 06 and 07, where all of a sudden, as soon as the market turned, there was this margin call, not on hedge funds, but margin right. call on mom and pops right. where people had to liquidate. We're not there. So no. if we get to 20% lower, that's fine, but I don't think this is the same sort of catastrophic thing it was in two different times in our lifetime. And uh, once again, Far agrees with Yurio. Uh, I always feel better when I agree with Yurio, i got to tell you. Uh, but, but <laughs> yeah, you know, so uh, if, if we have an economy that's growing, we don't have any kind of runaway inflation anywhere. We've got very low interest rates historically. Um, I, I think this passes. I really do. And I think that, you know, I had a, I had a client say something to me last week, which was, Michael, this market just feels awful to me. And my immediate knee-jerk response was, well, then we should be buying. We should be buying. Well, of course. Yeah, when, when uh, periodicals like the New York Times talk about the coming crash, there was an article they ran over the weekend. That, that of course, is more akin to a buy signal than a sell signal, without question. We know how this sort of thing works its way through the levels. And when people are starting to freak out, you know, the, the, the lowest, least active of investors, then all of a sudden you know that's probably a bottoming process. And I don't, you know, if they want to get their 20% bear market level in over the next week, whatever, that's fine. That's only about 6% from where we are now. We can handle that. But anything beyond that, I, I say it's not going to happen. Well, I, 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 I tend to agree with you. I think you buy them when other people hate them. Greenspan also came out in some interview with CNBC or CNN. Uh, he told CNN that the bull market's over and that, um, you know, it, it, it'd be very surprising uh, to see things um, stabilize here and then take off again. Uh, they could still go up, but that, at the end of that, he says, run, run for cover. And then they quote him and saying, this was the man who coined the phrase irrational exuberance. He did that in November of 1996. And... Eight months later, it was 33% higher. 1996, Amen. we went through all of 1999. We got up to almost 14,000 on the Dow. Uh, it was like 6,000 when Greenspan said irrational exuberance. It more than doubled. It more than doubled before Greenspan got to claim victory. So uh, maybe he's not getting enough attention these days, but I wish the, the former retired Fed chairman would just, you know, write his memoirs. Uh, yes, and I appreciate his, his service. I appreciate his time at the Fed. But he was never a good prognosticator back when he was plugged in. I'm not – like, no. I didn't know that. And you couldn't Green understand him that, anyway. And I could have died perfectly happy not knowing he said that. <laughs> uh, I, yeah, I, I'm, I'm perfectly happy. Um, Jim Murio and Michael Farr, I promise, will die perfectly happy many, 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 many years from now. Thank you so much, Jim. We wish you and your family the happiest of holidays, and thank you so much for all of the contributions you've given to the Farcast this year. Oh, the same from us to you. Thank you so much for having me. Ladies and gentlemen, we're going to be back with Dan Mahaffey, lots to talk about on politics, and then Jack Berugian uh, coming up uh, for our third segment. Stay with us on the Farcast. You're listening to Farcast. Do you have an upcoming function and need a dynamic speaker to engage your audience? You've enjoyed listening to the Farcast, so why not invite Michael Farr to speak at your next event? In addition to hosting the Farcast and serving as president of the advisory firm Farr, Miller & Washington, Michael is the longest-serving paid contributor to CNBC. 
He is recognized by audiences, and his presentations on the economic outlook are always well-received. Michael has recently appeared at such venues as the Economic Club of Memphis, the University of Delaware, Matheson Financial Conference, and the YPO-WPO Economic Summit. Add your event to the growing list of organizations who have been informed and captivated by Michael's insights. For more information or to book Michael for an upcoming event, please email me, Harry Jennings, at hjennings at farmiller.com or call me at 202-530-5608. You're listening to Forecast. Now here's your host, Michael Farr. Welcome back to the Forecast and happy holidays to all of you. This is our last Forecast for 2018. It has been a great year and you all have been wonderful audience and the Farcast audience has been growing and growing and growing and we thank you all very, very much for sharing it on social media and we hope that you'll continue to tell friends about it. We thank you for your notes and we thank you for your questions and all of your input. We thank you very much too for your support of Dan Mahaffey, who is our senior political analyst from the Center for the Study of the Presidency and Congress. Uh, you've listened to Dan and gotten to know him over the months, uh, over the past year here on the Farcast. You know that he is just sort of a genius with uh, two legs, really, is the best <laughs> way to describe him. And fabulous insights. Hey, Dan, welcome back to the Farcast. Thank you. Thank you, Michael. You're, you're far too kind. I'm uh, on the phone here, but, uh, you know, blushing to match the uh, holiday colors here. <laughs> um, your mother asked me to say all that, so I, that's, that's not true. Uh, uh, you make a great, great contribution. So, uh, Dan, we have had a very eventful week uh, on Wall Street. We discussed that with Jim Murio. Markets have not done well. They have not been resilient. We've got a Fed meeting uh, uh we had a Fed meeting today, actually. We'll have the report for the second day of Fed meetings, along with Chairman Powell's press conference tomorrow. Uh, we're going to learn a lot, and I think a lot of what the markets will do for the rest of the year absolutely hinge on his statements, on the Fed's published statement, and on his Q&A press conference afterwards. So we're going to be watching that. I reckon, too, Dan, that the world will be watching that, Yes. Well, I think, yes, we, you know, there's this economic uncertainty right now, uh, a general health in the U.S. economy compared to the rest of the world. And we've been seen certainly as one of the growth engines compared to other major industrial economies. Uh, but I also think the rest of the world's going to be looking to see if the Fed uh, does seem to respond to some of the political pressure uh, coming from the White House, it's uh, kind of a, a lose-lose situation, I think, for the Fed chairman, where even if the data is suggesting data on inflation, data on economic growth, future earnings, etc., uh, suggests that we should slow the rate increases uh, or take a pause for now, uh, how can you do that driven by data if you appear to be succumbing to pressure from the White House? Right. You better have a lot of data that uh, appears fairly weak if you're going to be a little bit weaker. So, you know, it's it's not impossible for economists to find numbers to support their theses uh, after the fact. I mean, that's we've we've seen that act before. Right. So, uh, yeah, lies, damned lies and statistics. But, uh, <laughs> right down yeah, that road. Certainly baby. when you. Yeah. When you have a when you have a president, though, who's been so vocal uh, not like uh, not since LBJ have we seen a president who is this vocal about the uh, Fed um, directly. 
Um, we certainly have to uh, look at how uh, people look at the independence of the Fed and this decision. So let's let's go to uh, let's go to the most important thing I think we can talk about, which is uh, China, China, uh, mm-hmm. and uh, we we are watching this. I don't know whether there's a trade war, a trade dispute, uh, whether it's a kind of a slap down back and forth, or or just everybody's talking about trade and doing very little. Maybe maybe it's just the talk about uh, talk about it a lot and don't do very much, but. Tell me where you think China stands and President Xi stands on this whole trade confrontation with the U.S. and President Trump. Mm-hmm. Well, I think President Xi, as we've discussed uh, with China, has a position of pretty unparalleled power in the history of that country's uh, post-Mao era. Um, really, you I mean, know, it's almost like Mayor Marion Barry, mayor for life. <laughs> really, uh, he's almost at that Marion Barry status, is he not? Yes, but if even far better run. I'd, I'd go more of a really Richard Jay Daly oh. uh, type of uh, Chicago type of approach. Maybe I'm a little biased there, but <laughs> the uh, the structure there in China certainly he's he's moved away with the term limits. He's been able to. Uh, sideline a lot of uh, those who were critical of him in the party through anti-corruption campaigns, which also happened to be popular uh, with the public, which was concerned about party graft and, and corruption. Uh, so he is able to consolidate power uh, both on the economic and political fronts, uh, as well as wearing a very powerful hat, being the chair of the uh, Chinese Central Military Commission. Uh, which is responsible for the uh, the PLA, uh, which we have to remember is an army that pledges loyalty to the party, not the state. Right, right. Okay. Uh, so, Dan, uh, are they just posturing? Are they going to do anything, the Chinese? I, I think they're very happy to give us uh, small concessions, things here and there on the uh, industrial economy. They listen to... Trump and his affinity for manufacturing, bringing back heavy industry. Uh, they look at people who've been close in his circle, like uh, like Lighthizer, Navarro, even Steve Bannon. I remember when Trump had just taken office, Bannon was saying, we're going to reopen shipyards, things like that, that harken back to a uh, early 20th and mid 20th century economy. So the Chinese are happy to give concessions there on areas that are are well-tread or, um, you know, even not that meaningful when it comes to value, uh, particularly when China is focusing on their future economic role of moving up the value chain and replacing a lot of the companies that exist in Japan, South Korea, Germany, and the United States that are on the cutting edge of technology. Okay, so, uh, so, so I think they're, they're thinking that they can wait out this administration by giving them a few concessions and continue focusing on the on the long term. All right. So Nilu Hao has been a uh, IT security specialist uh, at, at a very high level who has been on the forecast. Nilu pointed out that there is a race in the world towards quantum computing, uh, creating this super fast computer that looks like it actually will happen, that will be able to process information at such ridiculous speeds that no password will ever, you know, or encrypted data will ever again be safe. 
because this computer is going to be so fast it can run through all of the millions of permutations of various letters, digits, symbols, uh, and it will crack them. So uh, China is moving there. China is limiting access, our market access, others around the world too, but certainly U.S. market access. uh, And uh, certainly uh, there has been evidence of a lot of theft, just outright theft of intellectual property and technology for many, many years. So when faced with that, we have a president who I think very correctly says, don't send me hate letters just because I said the president was correct. Please don't do that. I think the president correctly said this is an unfair situation with China and they are taking advantage of the United States and it has to stop. The question is, how do you stop theft of intellectual property and high-tech information um, uh, and, and, and I guess the approach has been to say, all right, well, we're going to uh, we're going to make we're going to hit your wallet. And and I'm not sure that we are effectively punishing the wallet in order to make the point elsewhere, nor am I really sure that we can punish the wallet sufficient, you know, at a sufficient cost that they would stop uh, violating um, these other I guess, treaties and agreements that, uh, by which a lot of other countries in the world abide. So uh, I, I'm, I'm just wondering, do we have the right tool for this problem? Um, they're talk, you know, we talk about we want access to sophisticated financial services. We want to be in China with market access. We want to talk about our intellectual property. And they come back and say, we want to talk about agriculture. We, we want to talk about basic yeah. materials and aluminum. What, where, how do we get around this disconnect? Because I think this is the crux of the problem. Well, I think that part of it is the president is right to identify those. But then you look at earlier, uh, you know, when he had ZTE facing, that's a major Chinese tech company, facing a virtual death sentence uh, and blinked as a concession to Xi. They, they paid a major fine. Uh, I believe in the billion dollar range, but that's still for a company with that kind of revenue was not uh, that significant of a of a fine. And then you have him now even saying where we have a Huawei CFO uh, in Canada and two Canadians, uh, I I would call them hostages now, uh, taken by the Chinese government. Uh, are we supporting the Canadians there? Uh, he offers, too, that she could be swapped as part of a, a trade deal. And that kind of shows that even when you're putting pressure on those tech companies, all, all of those matters of the rule of law are kind of for sale for the sake of a deal that perhaps has us slinging a few more soybeans across the Pacific. <laughs> slinging um, soybeans that, across. That could be the other one, slinging soybeans, Harry. <laughs> Sorry, go ahead, please, Dan. Uh, and so then you, you look at these companies, and I, I'm glad you mentioned quantum computing because I'd highly recommend to our listeners. Uh, it's a interesting report, though, a little dry. The National Academies of Sciences uh, did a report on quantum computing and how this is a, a sea change in computing that would render almost all kinds of uh, cryptology, password security uh, completely uh, breakable all of our current security approaches. And mind you, much of the work in the U.S. is either uh, classified or very proprietary at our major tech companies. But China has been throwing tons of money at this. 
And they've also been looking to Europe, where many researchers and universities have been hard hit by austerity and poaching and sponsoring talent over there uh, to help close the gap that they can't steal through straight up uh, intellectual property. So, theft. Dan, as we so, come into as we come into year end here, uh, are we going can you and I agree that uh, uh, this China story will not be solved in the next couple of weeks? And this is going to be something we're still talking about when we return in January. It will be, and it's going to not be something that's a 90-day deadline or, or things of this nature. It almost harkens back to when uh, President Eisenhower and the American people looked up in the sky and saw Sputnik going over and heard that beep, beep, beep on the transistor radio and knew that we needed to have a major national strategy and work with our allies as well to answer some of these questions about technology because it's going to cut through security, it's going to cut through the future of espionage, it's going to cut through innovation, it's going to cut through how we do our jobs and how people work and are educated on a daily basis. This is going to be one of the most important important things we discuss in 2019, yes? In 2019, and it's not, uh, I don't see the White House nor any of the uh, significant Democratic candidates uh, talking about this. Give me 30 seconds on why the judge tore into Flynn when I thought he had a plea deal and we've got to go. But you've got to just I, that, that every so often I see something in the, in the headlines. I mean, I thought Flynn had a deal and the judge just the, the judge sounded really pissed. Well, I hope the Chinese watched and saw what an independent judiciary is. Yeah. <laughs> uh, but what you had there was a uh, questions about his cooperation. We have the other charges that related to his business partner. And sometimes a judge is sitting there and looks at a man who dishonored the uniform that he wore for this country, uh, and he can't hold his temper back. And uh, that judge certainly didn't. Dan Mahaffey, uh, we hope that you and your family have a wonderful holiday year-end and beginning of 2019, and we look forward to being back on with the air with you in 2019. Harry, when are we on on the 8th? We're on on the 8th. January 8th. We're going to be back, ladies and gentlemen, with Dan Mahaffey. Dan, all good wishes, and thank you for all of your many contributions to the Farcast this year. Thank you, Michael. Same to you and yours and the whole team at uh, Far Miller. It's been great working with you this year. Ladies and gentlemen, we're going to be right back uh, with Jack Berugian, one of the great Wall Street minds, lots of experience, a pro's pro. When we come back on the Farcast I'm Michael Farr. You're listening to Farcast. Thanks for listening to the Farcast. We'd like to wish you and yours the happiest of holiday seasons. We'll be back with more great guests and deep insight next year. In the meantime, if you need just the facts every morning before markets open, we invite you to listen to the Farcast 3-Minute Morning Brief. Headlines, markets, and futures in the time it takes to brew a pot of coffee. You can find the 3-Minute Morning Brief on Anchor.fm at 7 o'clock every morning. The markets are open. Now, back to the Farcast. Now more with Michael Farr and the Farcast. Welcome back to the Farcast. I am Michael Farr. Thank you so much for being with us again. This is our year end, the big finale here for the Farcast as we come into the end of the year. It is the 18th day of September. Tomorrow I will be on CNBC for two hours with my friend 
Tyler Matheson, as we discuss what we're expecting for the Fed. We're going to do that for a whole hour. Then the Fed's going to tell you whether we were right or wrong. And then we're going to explain what we think that means to investors and why Wall Street is reacting the way it will then be. So what could possibly go wrong with that? Um, But uh, when uh, I will tell you, uh, of course, uh, well over 30 years in this business, when a pro needs information, the pro goes to a pro's pro, and that pro's pro is Jack Perugian. He's chief economist and co-founder, director of the Universal Compute Exchange and the India Compute Inter-Exchange. Jack has been CEO of the Index Futures Company. I mean, Jack is just the man, uh, board of directors of the CME Group. He's been on the Farcast before. Hey, Jack Perugian, welcome back to the Farcast. Uh, thanks, Michael. It's always a pleasure being on. Well, we love having you on. So, Jack, I see that the CME is saying that there is a 68% chance of a tightening tomorrow. 68% chance of something that's happening tomorrow? That just struck I mean, I can't believe that. What Have, have you Un- seen that? Unbelievable. Right. No, in fact, you know what? I got to tell you, it's the first time, I think, in the last, I want to say almost decade, where we did not see... A hundred percent the day before a meeting. That's what so I'm thinking. Is, this is the first time I've actually seen some doubt in that Fed Fund Futures contract, uh, which is absolutely amazing to me. And, you know, it also tells you something uh, very much about what the market is doing. And that's sending a very clear signal uh, to Jay Powell and the Fed. Well, tell us what that signal is. Well, look, you know, I mean, I think it's a combination of a couple of things, Mike. And we've been talking about it now over the course of, of the last year. I know I've been on a couple of times, and one of my mantras has been for the whole year the, the fact that repatriation has been actually propping up the dollar against other global currencies. And, and one of the ancillary effects of that is the fact that you end up with a disinflationary pressure that is, that is created. And that's exactly what we're experiencing over the course of these last three months. Yes. And in, in, in my mind, in, in my mind's eye, in the yield curve's eye, I think you know, what we're looking at is essentially a market telling us, uh, you know, in Italian, basta, all right, or in Armenian, gapave. All right. Enough, enough, huh? And, 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 and that's, yeah, that's, really, and that's really the, the message. Okay. And uh, now, tomorrow, let's, let's just do Jack and Mike here. Jack and Mike. Mike says they're hiking tomorrow. I don't know what the hell those other uh, 32% of the people who think that they might not, they're hiking tomorrow. What does Jack say? If they're hiking tomorrow and they're telling us they're going to hike another three times next year, watch out. No, just tomorrow. Watch just out. tomorrow. Is there a chance? What's the chance that they're going to hike tomorrow is what I'm asking you. Well, I think they still hike tomorrow. Yeah. And I think that, you know what, there's, yeah, I still think they hike tomorrow, but I, I don't think it's a hike with conviction. I don't think it's a hike like we saw the last two or three hikes that said, you know, not only we're going to hike this time, but guess what? We're, we're still away, you know, to, to get to normal, uh, you know, and, and this path to normalization is going to take us at least another three or four hikes over the course of the next year. I think all of that rhetoric is going to be gone. I think we're going to see what I would consider to be probably the most dovish rate hike that we'll probably experience in our lifetime. With language that qualifies the qualifiers about what will qualify as uh, data that would dependent, uh, that would make us actually raise more uh, in 2018, uh, I mean, of 2019. Don't you think, I mean, we're going to hear Powell start to parse words like Greenspan did? 
He has to. And, and, and you know, look, Mike, you know this. They're backed into a corner. Uh, you know, he's got the president tweeting on the one side, uh, you know, and all of a sudden he's got the independence of the Fed at jeopardy. Uh, and, you know, but if he's looking at the data, you know, the data is actually telling him something completely different. So, you know, what is their role? Are they, are they data dependent? Are they, are they looking at this, you know, this invisible enemy of inflation that, that is not there? Are they the, you know, are they the Don, you know, Coyote of our generation? The invisible so I, I think that's enemy really of inflation, an invisible enemy of, in- I like that. That is inflation, really, because it is, it has well, been, but we haven't seen it, have we? No, it, we haven't. And and you and I know that, that the, the long end of the yield curve goes down for, for one of two reasons. Either global weakness, which I don't think we're experiencing. Corporations are still strong. No. I mean, it's not. Well, I, I FedEx, okay, that. you saw FedEx tonight. They say they're seeing some slower uh, trade volumes in Europe and in Asia, and that lowered their forecast, which killed their stock after the close, I'm sorry to say. Well, but remember, that stock has also had a great run. And, you know, when people talk about the stock market, especially these days, you know, people forget we have seen one incredible run over the course of the last couple of years. You know, when I tell people, it's, and, and, and people get very excited when they start to see the markets correct. And, and you and I end up becoming psychologists in many cases. <laughs> oh, all day long. People about, because we're talking to people about the fact that, you know, these are normal corrections. Yes. If the market is going to go higher, yes. you have to expect this kind of action. And, and that's really the, the, the disconnect. People don't understand that the higher we go, these price swings are only going to get bigger. You know, I told my son the other day who said to me, you know, Dad, you know, where, where's the market going? I said, well, when you're my age, it's probably going to be at 500000 with the Dow. And he said, 500000 I said, well, do the math. <laughs> it's at 25000 an hour, roughly. I said, you know, but when you're at my age, you know, it was at, it was at a, a 2000 when I was your age. Sure. So in theory, at that point, we could see 5,000-point swings on a daily basis in the Dow. So I guess I, what I'm trying to get at is the fact that it, it really is all relative. And, and, you know, I think the volatility needs to be understood rather than, you know, rather than be afraid of it. I think you need to embrace it. And that's where understanding the market condition, understanding the market structure, taking advantage of the tools at your disposal or having somebody. And I talked about this the last time I was on, you know, having somebody that that, that is an active manager that can help you. You you know, the, 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 the dumb money is gone. The easy money where you could just put it into an index fund and let it run is gone. Now okay. you need somebody that can actually perform for you. And I've said that to you before. I needed, I needed, everybody needs that as part of their portfolio. Uh, I'm um, hoping, and, uh, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm hoping that they'll all call Berugian and Far because actually that is what we do for a living. I manage other people's money through exactly these times. It, you know what, something happened funny to me. I want to get back to the economy in a second, but I, 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 I was in the uh, supermarket uh, down uh, in, in Florida on um, – a Sunday night, and I was buying some quick stuff for dinner. Laura didn't feel well. She said, we pick up some stuff? So I did. Ran into a friend in the supermarket, and she looked at me. She said, have you been? I had my golf shoes on, so she, you know, <laughs> didn't miss that trick. She said, have you been playing golf, Michael? I said, yeah. It's a Sunday afternoon. I played golf. She said, what, how can you do that? She said, you know, Charlie has been at home all day on his computer. He is so upset about this market. I think he's read Barron's three times. He just is fit to be tied. I don't, he doesn't know what to do with himself. I said, well, that's easy. She said, what's easy? I said, tell him to play golf. <laughs> she, she, oh, you know, turn off she, the computer. That's yes. <laughs> I mean, dear God, I mean, she thought I was just being the biggest wise ass. 
which a little bit I was, but 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 I was serious. I mean, Mark Charlie's a lot older than I am, and you are, Jack. And and come on, you've been doing this for thirty some odd years. Markets go down. It's not fun. It's all. But you know, I had a client who said uh, last week. He said, you know, Michael, this market feels awful to me. It just feels awful. And I said, oh, well, then we should be buying. As soon as he said it, I mean, that's just a knee jerk to me now, Jack. When things feel awful, I want to start going through my buy list. Do you, do you agree? And, and what do you think we can look forward to in 2019? And You're so good at talking to the individual investor who is worried about what they should be doing at year end and with their 401ks and everything else. And will they be able to retire? Give us your message, would you? Well, here, here's the, the thing. Tomorrow is, is one of the inflection points that we've been waiting for. Uh, you know, we'll know tomorrow, you know, in the second hour that you're on, and I'll be glued watching you for two hours unless they ask me to, to be on around the same oh, time. Oh, God, that would be but great. That, I'm going to tell them. Are you available tomorrow? <laughs> no, you know, I don't think I am, but I, either way, I'm going to be glued to the, to the screen. Of course. But, Everybody but I'll, I'll should that, be, but, really. Yeah. Well, here's, here's the one thing that I think is going to happen, and, and I, I really need for people to understand this. The market right now is trying to digest all these different things. It's almost like the perfect storm happening simultaneously. You know, you've, got, you've got commodity prices getting hit, oil specifically, which is a very important factor, and we'll get to in a second. But, but you really have a lot of value that's being created. And you, you, know, you were talking about making a shopping list. You know, there were so many stocks that were trading with ridiculous PEs. Well, now you've got something like an Apple that is trading at such a digestible level. And you know what? I, I don't care if it goes down another $20 from here. I love Apple with this PE I, because, you know what, the, the iPhone is not going to go away. It's going to be, you know, and there's going to be an iPhone 20 probably in another few years, and my kids' kids are going to be buying it. You know, I, it, it's one of those companies that is just a cash cow. So for me, I've been watching that stock and haven't been able to own it. And I'm using that as an example. Okay. That is my shopping list. All right, that's exactly the type of stock that I've been waiting to buy, and now I get the chance to buy it. That's what I think people should be doing in this environment. Now, as far as next year goes, and I think that this is going to be the key, oil and commodity prices are going to dictate where the market goes, Mike. If oil, oil and commodity prices are going to dictate where the market goes. Yes. Okay. And and the reason is and the reason is because if if the market continues to go down in oil specifically, let's think about who those countries that are going to suffer are. You have right now roughly or you did before the market started cracking about 8 trillion dollars in sovereign wealth fund money. Of that 8 trillion dollars, eight of those 10 top companies or countries are from oil producing countries. And, and if you think about it, the other two funds are from China. So what you'd have to worry about is the fact that, you know, of that $8 trillion or so, and let's use that number as, a, as an estimate, you know, almost 50% of it is invested here in the U.S. If any of that capital needs to get repatriated because of the fact that these budgets are not being met because oil is cracking, because it happened in February a couple of years ago. And when we saw oil crack down under $40, there was a big need on the part of the Saudis and some of these other Middle Eastern countries and the Norwegians to repatriate capital. And, and, and that in and of itself creates a huge footprint. Now, the flip side of that, of course, is that, that we get a big tax break because oil ends up going down in price. And, and, and the back end of that is, is, is a whipsaw effect for the market. 
but but that is one of the things that we have to pay attention to, and it, it could be a bit of a replay of what we saw a couple of years ago in February. That's what worries me, and, and that's why I say oil and commodity prices are going to be the key to that. Um, but again, the, the flip side of, of the whole bear argument is the fact that yesterday we went down and, and retested our yearly low, took it out by a couple of S&P points, yes. and came right back. So, yes. so for somebody who's a techn- technician, they're going to look at that and say, well, you know, if, if, if Powell and the Fed does the right thing tomorrow, then you know what? Then that's it. That's the successful retest. And, and it's going to be the all-clear signal, and we're probably going to head higher. But, but it's again, that's why I say tomorrow is the inflection point. Tomorrow is the inflection point uh, from my friend Jack Berugi. And just finally, Jack, before we go, uh, I, I, what I'm looking at here is still low interest rates, modest inflation. We've got solid economic growth. So, okay, it's 2 and 2.5%. Percent. It's not 3 or 4%, but it's 2%. That doesn't bother me at all. The economy's not like as red hot as it was nine months ago. But it's, it seems sustainable to me. And I don't have a problem with kind of a respectable and unexciting 2 2.5% growth. I mean, I can live with that. I don't see kind of a bubble on the horizon. And I think this correction, as you said, is creating a lot of value and and. and uh, providing opportunities for investors who will be disciplined and not emotional. Would you? How did, well, I agree a hundred percent. And I would just, I would, I would say one more thing. If, if we can get our good friend, you know, Larry Kudlow, right, to, to talk our president out of these protectionist actions. Yes. Which, Amen. And, and we all know that protectionism is a prosperity killer. What we are going to see is a tsunami of capital hit the markets. And it's going to be one of those things where, you know, everybody that, that is on the sidelines is going to say, oh, my goodness, all right, because they're going to realize that they just missed the buying opportunity of the decade. And that's, that's, that's really how I feel about what's ahead of us here. If indeed we can do the right things. Buying opportunity of a decade if we can do the right things. Jack Berugian, thank you so much for joining us on the Farcast. I always learn so much, and uh, I hope I get to spend some more time with you, uh, maybe even in person in 2019. Jack, that would be a lot of fun. That'd be, that'd be real nice, Mike. I'd like that a lot. Happy holidays to you and your family. Happy holidays to all of the listeners of the Farcast. We thank you so much for your wonderful support and patronage over the course of the year. We will be back with you in 2019. Uh, Happy Hanukkah. Merry Christmas. Happy New Year. We wish it will be full of uh, health and happiness, profits and prosperity in 2019. For all of 2018 and everybody here at the Farcast, thank you so much. I'm Michael Farr. Thank you for joining us on the Farcast. As with every week, we'd like to remind you that the podcast has been provided for informational purposes only and does not provide investment advice. Prior to providing specific investment advice, we would need to obtain information such as investor-specific risk tolerances, objectives, and income thresholds. The securities discussed and described are not a recommendation to buy or sell, and listeners should not assume that investment in the securities identified was or will be profitable. Thank you again, and we look forward to being with you again next week. Remember, you can subscribe to the Farcast on Apple Podcasts or any major podcast platform. Until next week, I'm Harry Jennings, producer of the Farcast.